have had that kind of testimony. Well, today, I'd like for you to pray for me as I try to deliver God's word today. I certainly don't feel adequate, and, uh, and Luke didn't help anything last week because he did a very good job, and uh, we were very happy that uh, God was using him uh, to share with us last week. Today I'm going to be talking about no reason to feel insecure. We're looking at John the 10th chapter and uh, we're going to be looking at the first 30 verses of that uh, chapter. Why do sheep have shepherds? Because it's the nature of sheep to stray and to get in harm's way. Whether that be from hungry wolves or steep canyons... For centuries, shepherds have used various methods from staffs to dogs to keep sheep from straying from the safety of their care. In recent times, shepherds have turned to other, more sophisticated methods. One method is a metal hoof-proof grid that is built into the ground around the sheep's territory. The animals cannot walk over the grid, which is eight feet wide. This works well in keeping sheep in the protection of the pen, but early in 2006, shepherds in Yorkshire, England, found that they had a group of sheep to care for uh, that were not only stubborn, but prone to stray. And they were also very crafty. One of the sheep figured out a way to transgress the boundaries. Get this now. It laid down and rolled over the grid. <laughs> the other sheep in the herd followed his example. And so soon the sheep were spread over the countryside and they found their way to neighborhood gardens where they ate food and flowers of all the other local residents. Well, the shepherds eventually gathered up the troublesome sheep and they returned them to their pen, but again they escaped and they got into trouble. And again they did it. While the special knowledge of escape of this entire herd of black sheep may have seemed like an exciting adventure for them, it actually placed the animals into harm's way as several sheep wandered into nearby roads or were accosted by local resident dogs. Well, thankfully, our good shepherd found another way to deal with stubborn, straying sheep. The Bible tells us that all we like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Well, let me give you a little bit of background about our scripture today, and then we're going to read it. Jesus had just healed a man who had been born blind. He mixed mud and spittle together, and he made mud. He put the mixture on the man's eyes, and then he told him to go uh, wash it off in the pool of Siloam. The man obeyed, and he was healed. The man's neighbors and acquaintances were confused. Some thought it was genuinely him who was healed, yet others did not believe that it was really him. The Pharisees were anxious and angry now over yet another healing by Jesus 
on the Sabbath. Now they questioned the man repeatedly, even trying to get his parents to testify otherwise that he wasn't born blind. They asked the man of his opinion of Jesus, and he declares him to be a prophet of God. They then threw him out of the synagogue. Jesus finds him. He asks him if he believes in the Son of Man, and he responds that he does believe, and he falls down to worship Jesus. The Pharisees then confront Jesus yet again about breaking the Sabbath. And Jesus declares that he has come into the world to give sight to the blind, but that those who think they see already see. In other words, if they think they see already spiritually, namely the Pharisees, they will become blind. The Pharisees are incensed that he would insinuate that they were blind. That brings us to our passage of scripture today. So if you'll stand with me, we'll read that together. Chapter 10 of John, chapter 10, verse 1. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. Yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him for they do not know the voice of strangers." Jesus used this illustration, but they did not understand the things which he spoke to them. Then Jesus said to them again, Most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep, and all who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. Now we're going to skip down to verse 14. I am the good shepherd and I know my sheep and am known by my own. As the father knows me, even so I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have which are not of this fold. Them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. Therefore my Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may have it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This command I have received from my Father. Then skipping down to verse 25, Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. But you do not believe because you are not of my sheep, as I said to you. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. And I and my Father are one. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you'll take these words that we've read this morning and use them for your glory. 
We thank you for Jesus who was willing to be our shepherd and is our shepherd today. We thank you for him and what he has done for us. In Christ's name we pray, amen. In these verses, Jesus uses the image of a shepherd and his sheep. He refers to himself as the good shepherd and the Jewish leaders as thieves, robbers, and strangers. The sheepfold, of course, was the nation of Israel. The Pharisees had just shown their disregard for the sheep when they cast the blind man out of the synagogue there after Jesus had healed him. Jesus had come into uh, the sheepfold the proper way by showing his credentials. The people knew his credentials. What were they? They were the miracles that he had performed, the works that he had done, the healings that he had performed, the knowledge of God's word that he proclaimed, the love that he had for the people, which was just proven right there with the blind man. Jesus' use of the shepherd and the sheepfold or sheep pen is one of the most endearing and powerful images now in scripture. He refers to the sheep pen as having an entrance or a door, a gate. Uh, Sheepfolds or sheep pens were commonly built out in the open field uh, by building a wall of rocks around an area with um, thorns on top of the rocks to keep people from trying to climb over. They could also be built in the local villages inside a small structure that was uh, open on one side with a fence around it to access the sun. They were also commonly made just inside a cave uh, with a wall of stones constructed at the mouth of the cave to control intruders. Some structures actually had a gate to close them off with a gatekeeper and a lock who opened it uh, with a key. Now, out in the pasture at times, robbers would climb the back wall of the sheep pen and they would begin to slaughter the sheep and then throw them over uh, the wall to an accomplice. If the sheep pen had no working door or gate, the shepherd usually slept in the opening then of the pen to keep the sheep from escaping into the wild. So the shepherd always came into the pen through the door and many times at night he became the door itself. It was also a common practice to have a sheep pen in in town that was shared by everyone, where all the sheep were kept by a common shepherd. Now, in this scenario, the owners would bring their sheep to the pen in the evening, and then they'd go home for the evening. Now, the doorkeeper or guardian allows the shepherd to come claim his sheep the next day. The doorkeeper in this scenario was John the Baptist, by the way, uh, in this story. He had been sent by God to proclaim the coming of Jesus, the great shepherd, the Messiah, to validate Jesus' credentials for the nation and to introduce him to the people. His sheep are there among the other sheep, but, but now as, as when this sheep herder comes back the next morning, he, uh, he comes in there and he, he needs to get his sheep. And so... The, the sheep are all mixed up. So how does the shepherd separate his sheep from the others? 
because the shepherds raised their sheep mainly for their wool and not the meat. They tended to keep their sheep for a long time, and as a result, they developed a strong bond with their sheep. And they even gave each sheep a name that suited the sheep's personality or characteristics that it seemed to display. So the shepherd had a distinct call for his sheep. As a result, his flock knew his voice, or he might have even had an instrument that he used in order to call them. It was distinct to their master. You'll recall that when the people heard Jesus teach, you remember when he taught in the temple? They commented that he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. They recognized Jesus' voice as the voice of God. Jesus knows us by name. There is something interesting about this, I think, in Exodus 28. You'll read about God's directions concerning what the high priest was to wear. One of the most significant things that the high priest wore was a breastplate, kind of looked like an apron uh, over the top of his clothing. And on it was attached some onyx and other precious stones representing the names of the tribes of Israel. On the shoulders of the tunic, there were two gold containers with the names of six of the 12 tribes in each container. He carried their names with him wherever he went. But most especially when he entered the Holy of Holies once a year. He literally brought their names into the very presence of God. Similarly now, Jesus is our high priest and he regularly intercedes on our behalf regularly. He takes our name before God on a regular basis. In verse 4, and when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. Now, the picture here is one of of, uh, gentle constraint. The shepherd brings his own sheep out of the sheepfold or or the pen. This verse emphasizes the fact now that these are the Lord's sheep. He owns them. He cares for all of them. He guides them by walking in front uh, of them, not only to lead them, but also to encounter first any danger that may await. Because they recognize his voice, they follow him. His ultimate aim is to guide his sheep to pasture and water for the day. And because of the shepherd's consistent care and provision, they know and trust the shepherd and they are willing to follow. The blind man recognized the voice of Jesus as the good shepherd and he followed him. And verse 5, yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him for they do not know the voice of strangers. John states here that the sheep will never follow a stranger. Their reaction to a stranger or someone they don't know was to run away. The natural tendency of sheep is to run then from strangers. Now, In his book, Building a Church of Small Groups, Bill Donahue relates a story uh, from his time as a part-time youth pastor while attending seminary. He was visiting a farm where two of his students lived, and here's how he relates his story. He says, the father was a shepherd, and he asked if I could help call 
help him call in the sheep. And I enthusiastically agreed. After all, wasn't sheep calling and a lot like preaching? We stood at the pasture fence. We were watching 25 sheep graze. Go ahead, he dared me. Call them in. Well, what do you say, I asked. Well, I just say, hey, sheep, come on in. No sweat, I thought. A city kid with a bad back and hay fever. I could do this. I began in a normal speaking voice, but then Tom interrupted me and he said, Hey, you're 75 yards away. You're downwind and they have their backs to you. Yell. Use your diaphragm like they teach you in preaching class. So I took a deep breath and I put every inch of stomach muscle into a yell that revival preachers around the world would have envied. And I said, hey, sheep, come on in. The blessed creatures didn't even move an inch. None of them even turned an ear. Tom smiled sarcastically. He said, do they teach you the Bible in that seminary? Have you ever read my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me? Raising his voice only slightly, he said, hey, sheep, come on in. All 25 sheep turned and ambled toward us. Jesus is the great shepherd. And when he calls his sheep, they follow. But if a stranger should come around calling after the sheep, they will not follow. Well, let's go on. That, uh, did I uh, give you the uh, first... Did I give you the first uh, fill-in on that sheet? I didn't, did I? The first one was Jesus guides us. All right, and now we're looking at Jesus gives us life in verses 7 through 10. <clears throat> then Jesus said to them again, Most assuredly I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. Now, verse 6 told us that they did not understand the Pharisees did not understand the illustration he was giving concerning the sheep. Therefore, to explain what he had just said, he begins again. So again, Jesus says, I am the door. The phrase I am is taken from Hebrew and it is related to his deity, his deity. He is claiming once again uh, to be God. Jesus stressed he was the only entrance into the fold of God's people, the only doorway to salvation. His being the door is similar to his being the way in verse, uh, in chapter 14, verse 6. J. Vernon McGee also points out that Jesus is also emphasizing that he is the only doorway or gate from Judaism. See, they're making a transition here. Jesus has accused the Pharisees and those that have come before him as being robbers. They've been strangers. After healing the blind man, the Jewish leaders kicked him out of the synagogue and the Jewish community. Jesus became for him the doorway out of Judaism and into the glorious light of salvation through God's Son. Now in verse 8, all who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. Jesus refers to all those now who have come before him as being thieves, robbers. 
These were not the legitimate prophets sent from God to the nation of Israel. They were instead all those who had claimed to be the Messiah, the false prophets, self-proclaimed teachers, and most of the Jewish religious leaders of Jesus' day. He called them thieves because they presented themselves as well-educated and knowledgeable men of Scripture, but were instead more concerned for the hundreds, over 600 to be exact, rules and regulations uh, that they had written over hundreds of years uh, that had to do with interpreting God's word. Now, Jesus probably remembered God's condemnation of the Jewish leaders in Ezekiel 34 and 4. He said, you have not strengthened the weak or healed the sick, bandaged the injured or brought back the strays or sought the lost. Instead, you have ruled them with violence and cruelty. He again states that the sheep refused to listen to these shepherds because they were nothing more than robbers and thieves. Jesus again declares, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Again, Jesus repeats his claim, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, this is a phrase now that states a condition for salvation. You have to want to do it. It must be your own choice. God never forces anyone to accept him. But you must enter by Jesus, the gate, the door. The person who does choose to enter salvation by Jesus Christ is saved. The result will be that he or she will have the freedom to live in the security of the great shepherd, being nurtured and taken care of by God himself. Now, over the years, I have talked to numbers and numbers of people, and when they share their testimony with me, sometimes it goes something like this. Well, I was born in a Christian home. Do you remember a time when you gave your heart to Jesus? No, I just grew up in a Christian home. Sometimes I've heard things like, uh, well, uh, I believe... Has there ever been a point in your life when you've made a decision to follow Jesus? That's the important question. In verse 10, the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. The thief or religious leaders were in the business for themselves. Their only desire was to please themselves. If it meant to steal and kill and destroy, then they would do it to get what they wanted. They liked their status in life as the religious elite. They liked their prominence as well as the well-educated. They liked the, the little perks that came with their notoriety, the, uh, the, the attention they got in the town square. But don't burden them with any of the unpleasantness of sinners surrounding them. To keep that status, they would do anything to keep the people from following Jesus. They knew if they started following Jesus, they weren't going to listen to them anymore, right? They would steal and kill to get what they wanted. They would abuse the sheep if necessary. But contrast that to what Jesus wanted. He wanted to give life. 
and he wanted to give it more abundantly, meaning he wanted to give more than was really necessary to all those who dared to follow him. So let's go on to our third section here, our third point on our outline today. Jesus gave his life for us. Verses 14 through 18. Now, Jesus is not like the hired man. The the hired man looks out for himself. But the Savior, Son of God, looks after the sheep that makes him the good shepherd. He has a personal, intimate relationship with his own sheep. They know him, and he knows them. They know him just like the Father knows him, and he knows the Father. Because of this relationship, Jesus is willing to lay down his life for his sheep. Jesus was willing to lay down his life. Another reference to the coming crucifixion. I know many people in our church and uh, most of our church members know who I am. But I don't know all of them. In fact, I've worked in seven different churches across the south and southwest. But do I know the names of every person that I ever worked with in all of those churches? No, I don't. I'm sorry to say, but Jesus does. Jesus knows each of his people by name, their personalities, their weaknesses, their strengths, their sins, their victories. The list could go on and on. In verse 16, and other sheep I have which are not of this fold, them also I must bring. And they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. In this context, Jesus has been referring now to the nation of Israel as his fold. But now Jesus tells his listeners that he has another fold, those who are called Gentiles. And one day they'll be brought together with the Jews into one flock with the one shepherd, Jesus Christ. There is a difference now between fold and flock, the flock being the larger of the two, This flock or larger group of sheep will include not only Gentile and Jew, but male and female, rich and poor, um, black and white, red and yellow, people from every nation and every tongue and every tribe. This flock is known as God's church. And in this flock, all are welcome and all are treated equally with love and care and compassion. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. In verse 17, therefore my father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it again. A better rendering of this verse from the original Greek text would be because the father loves me, that is the reason I lay down my life. But note that Jesus Um, was not only willing uh, to lay down his life, but he actually looks ahead to the future where he will take it up again. Not only was his voluntary death necessary, but his resurrection and his new life are just as essential in order to demonstrate Jesus' triumph over death and his power to give believers life. God's plan to redeem man contains these two elements, death and resurrection, and they are inseparable. 
In verse 18, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it again. This command I have received from my father. Jesus made it clear that his death is not a life taken, but a life given voluntarily. God did not force him to give it. He gave it because of his love for the sheep and his love for the father. No group or man ever had the power to take Jesus's life. He alone made that decision to give it up. And it is equally true that he had the choice and the power of taking his life back again through the resurrection. I found a quote this week that says, the resurrection changed everything. People follow Christ's teachings Not to become saved, but because they are saved. They found what it means to know him. Because he was raised from the dead, we too can be. We can live, really live, both now and through all eternity. Well, that brings us to our last point. Jesus gives us a guarantee. Jesus gives us a guarantee. In verses 25 through 30, Jesus answered them, I told you and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. Again, he's talking to the Pharisees here. He had been walking in the temple complex in in Solomon's uh, colonnade where when the religious leaders there encircled him and they cornered him and tried to hem him in and they demanded to know if he was the Messiah and if so, he should say so plainly. Jesus had told them they simply had not believed. I told you and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. His proof was that the works that he did uh, were in the Father's name. He was born in the lineage of King David. He was was introduced by John the Baptist, and God uh, uh, anointed him that day at his baptism. Look at his teachings, even in the temple at that time. His life, his miracles, his teachings all pointed to one thing. He had to be the Messiah, the Son of God, the Savior of the world. His credentials were not the problem. It was the sinful, unbelieving heart. In verse 26 and 27, But you do not believe because you are not of my sheep. As I said to you, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. The rejection by the religious leaders to believe that Jesus was the Messiah proved they were not his sheep. But those who did believe, they were his sheep. They could both hear him and obey him, and they followed him because they trusted him. In verse 28, and I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. To his sheep... Those who follow after him, they are given eternal life. This eternal life is both qualitative, it's a new quality of life, and it's quantitative, it's without end. His sheep may experience death on this earth, but they pick right up again after their earthly death with life everlasting. Jesus promised that his sheep would never perish. 
Now, we need to remember that our security does not depend on how tightly we hold on to Jesus. Did you hear what I said? Our security does not depend on how tightly we hold on to Jesus, but how securely he holds on to us. No one, he says, will snatch them out of my hand. In verse 29, my father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. Jesus proclaims the strength and veracity now of his own father. My father is greater than all. God is far greater and stronger than any evil in this world or in this universe. Special note here. If you think you can jump out of God's hand, you're mistaken. That verse is firm. No one can pluck or snatch them out of his hands, not even you. Verse 30, I and my father are one. Jesus was not claiming to be superior to God. He's saying that he's the only person who is one with the Father. He's not emphasizing his identity as deity, but emphasizing their unity. They are not the same person, but they are one in essence and nature. They share a unity of purpose and will. It is the shared task of providing security for Jesus' followers. In his book, Deserted by God, author and pastor Sinclair Ferguson shares the following story. The first physician to die of the AIDS virus in the United Kingdom was a young Christian. He had contracted it while doing medical research in Zimbabwe. In the last days of his life, his power of communication failed and he struggled with increasing difficulty to express his thoughts to his wife. On one occasion, she simply could not understand the message. He wrote on a notepad the letter J. She ran through her medical dictionary in her mind saying various words beginning with J, and, but none of them were right. And then she finally thought, are you saying Jesus? That was the right word. He was with them. That was all either of them needed to know. And that is always enough. Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. If you have Jesus, you have everything you need in life. I'd like for us to uh, have an invitation this morning. For those of you who have never accepted Christ as Lord and Savior, this is your opportunity to uh, come to the Lord this morning. If you need to confess a sin or you need to come down and pray, you're welcome to do that as well. I'll be standing down here in the front and I'll be ready to receive you.